World's Finest Podcast, Episode 6. I am James Doe, and with me as always is my co-host, Michael David Sims. Hello, how are you, James? Uh, I'm doing all right. Man, it's been a while since we've done one of these, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It, it definitely has, you know. Um, I was thinking about that before we jumped on Skype here. I was like, man, when was the last time I spoke with James? I honestly couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot's changed on my end since then. You know, my life is the standard boring affair, but has anything changed on your end? Anything? yeah. A quick job at the computer store. Uh, I was really. But you saw Raven there, Raven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, I saw. Um, God, who was it? Uh, it was nobody. Nobody else would know. It was just a an actor at this uh, Shakespeare, uh, like Variety House in downtown Atlanta. Is like one of my favorite actors at the place. I saw him and got to talk to him. So that was pretty neat. But uh, the job itself was just, you know. It's 35 minutes away, and with Atlanta traffic, it makes it even worse. So, and I just wasn't making enough money to justify all the gas I was guzzling. So, I uh, now I'm going back to where I used to work at a supermarket, you know, about five minutes from my house. And my brother works there now, so it should be all right. Well, that's cool. You know, is you know, like I said uh, earlier to you in the private message that I sent you before we started recording. You know, at least you're walking out of one job and straight into another. Yeah. Because being, you know, being between jobs sucks so hard. Oh yes, it's it's a terrible feeling. I, I know it. I know you know it. I know a, almost everybody knows it. So to be able to transition from one to the other like, without a hiccup, that's that's really cool. Yeah, well, it's like when I quit the job at the warehouse back in March. It was there was a horrible like six weeks there where I didn't get anything. Ooh. So it was. It's nice to have a little change of pace here. But that's about it from my end, I think. We actually got an email, and I should say, before I read this email, we have a new email address. The new email address is feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. So that's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And this email was sent into the old address. Uh, It says, uh, through the course of reviewing the DCAU episodes, are you guys going to review the animated movies like Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, Batman, Superman, World's Finest, Justice League Secret Origins, Justice League The Savage Time, Justice League Starcrossed, and Batman Beyond Return of the Joker? And then he finishes up by saying, keep up the good work and flame on. (laughs) And this was sent from, shoot, is his real name here? His name is Nick. And yes, we are going to be covering all those. Because uh, for the most part, the ones that are mentioned there are actually episodes of either Superman or Justice League. So those will be covered, you know, in order, like we're doing Batman here. But when it comes to the actual movies, like Mask of the Phantasm and Return of the Joker, those will be done after we're done reviewing the show. So once James and I have finished recording all our thoughts about Batman the Animated Series, then we're going to review Batman Mask of the Phantasm. And then when we're done with Batman Beyond, then we're going to talk about Return of the Joker, right? Isn't that what we agreed upon? Yeah, and uh, there's actually there's several uh, Batman the animated series movie spinoffs, like right. Mystery of the Batwoman and Sub-Zero. 
Uh, right. They'll so, all be covered. Yeah. You know, we've even spoken about going so far as talking about the uh, the Gotham Girls Flash cartoons. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're 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 considered canon, so why not do it? You know. Um, and I also would like to cover. Shoot, I forget the name of it. Is it called Catch Me? It was a it was a silent film that was included on the I think uh, the Secret of the Batwoman DVD, and it has no dialogue, but it's about like Catwoman and Bruce Wayne. Um, you know, I. I I'm pretty secure in saying that we'll cover that as well. So, yeah, if it's part of the universe, if it's considered canon, and in some cases in, the like, Teen Titans where it's questionable whether it's in continuity or not, we're going to cover everything. Our first episode today is Eternal Youth. Um, the premise behind this is there's a health spot that is sending uh, videotapes uh, promising uh, I guess eternal youth through some kind of potion and they're sending uh, whoever is sending these is sending them to very rich very influential people but also uh, but these rich and influential people seem to all have one thing in common they've all been doing something terrible to the environment we don't find that out until later but the uh, spa is actually run by poison ivy who is using uh, this potion that she's sending off, or you know, giving them, giving to these people at the spa? Uh, it's got some kind of chlorophyll that turns the people into trees. And since one of these tapes was sent to Bruce Wayne, uh, he decided not to go and sent Alfred in his place. And Alfred gets turned into a tree. And that's when Batman has to intervene. Uh, your thoughts? Ugh. Yeah. Just just ugh. Okay, can we move on to the next episode? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but there are things that need to be said. Okay, say them, please. Well, let's see. Um, I guess I'll start with something positive for a change. Um, I like the dynamic, and this happens a few times, where anytime Alfred is in trouble, Bruce's secret is in danger of being revealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like it when they tackle that, because normally they do a good job. Unfortunately, they didn't do a very good job here, but normally I think it comes off pretty well. Uh, the thing that bothered me about it is that Batman overreacts when he sees Alfred. And he shouldn't do that. That's bad. But uh, if you look at that scene when he overreacts, you don't. we don't see Poison Ivy. She's off camera. But her two hench girls are behind Batman. So you could make the claim that they can't see how he's reacting to seeing Alfred Pennyworth all petrified. You know, like I said, maybe Ivy sees it. I don't remember where she's standing. I just know she's off camera. But the, the hench girls can't see what he's doing there. So you could kind of justify it. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. We had another, you know, Bruce you know, Bruce and Batman mode when Alfred is in the bed recovering from when he collapsed in the Batcave. That was kind of... I like that because it makes sense. It makes sense in that situation. He's, def, he's definitely in Batman mode. Um, really? Let's see. And then we had more golf, uh, golf, goofy, dull-witted Bruce Wayne. Oh, at the end? Episode. Yeah. Oh, that ending is genius. I love, as much as I'm not a fan of this episode, I love that ending to death. That is one of the funniest things in this entire series. Yeah. You know, <laughs> him bringing that plant to Alfred and his girlfriend. What's his girlfriend's name? I don't remember. Um, Maggie? Is it Maggie? Yeah, I think it's Maggie. Maggie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that's just hilarious. That's just yeah. downright hilarious. You know, because, okay, because sometimes I see it, and I wonder if Bruce really forgot, 
or if he was just playing up the whole bumbling Bruce Wayne thing. Yeah, you it's know? very ambiguous. You don't know. But I, I'm willing to chalk it up to him trying to be just, uh, you know, keep up the act. Probably. Because yeah. it, when she follows up the line that says, where she says, nice young man, but he's kind of slow sometimes, or whatever she says. <laughs> yeah. And then Alfred <laughs> hides behind the newspaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that ending so much. I mean, uh, you know, later on we'll, of course, you know, rattle off the scores for all these episodes. And I think I gave this one an extra point just for that ending. I like the uh, uh, Joan of Bark. That was, I thought Alfred was pretty spot on right there. Alfred's always on. Alfred, he is Mm -hmm. never off, ever. I mean, every every line that dude says is just perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether it's supposed to be funny or whether it's supposed to be touching, you know, or anything in between, he's he's just always perfect. What's his name? Ephraim, right? Ephraim Zimbalist. I think that's how it's pronounced. He's just an awesome voice actor. Just, I can't say I've ever seen him do, like, motion pictures, Mm -hmm. but... Voice acting, he is like at the top of like, like if he were, to, I assume he's still alive or did he pass away? No, he's he's still alive. Yeah, although I, he is, he's almost uh, ninety, I believe. Oh, jeez. Okay, so if I saw his name attached to another animated series, I would watch it just for him. Yeah, that, that's I agree. how high. That's how much pr- uh, uh, respect I have for the the love that he brought to Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah, you know, and he's. And you know how much I love voice acting, and yes. how much I follow that. And that he's he is one of those guys I would I would watch just for him. So now you said you know you'd start with the good things, you know the, the high points. That was Take it. Us into the low points. Well, uh, the animation was terrible. Uh-huh. I thought I just I don't know. It never really seemed to flow at any point. It was just really choppy. Um, let's see what else. You know, honestly, I don't know. if much I don't have much written here, so why don't you say something? Maybe I can follow it up. Okay, I'll well, remember something that I'm forgetting. One of the things, like you, I'm going to start with you know with, with 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 one of the pluses here. One of the things I really did like about this episode, besides the ending, of course, is we actually get to see Bruce Wayne get tough. Like when he finds out what's going on with that slash and burn operation, he's like, "I don't care how much it costs, shut it down now!" And he like hangs up the phone, with, you know, on whoever he's he was speaking with. And mm-hmm. you don't normally see Bruce Wayne like that. Normally he's very hands-off when it comes to Wayne Tech, and he just lets Lucy, Lucius Fox deal with it. Well, something went wrong here. You know, something went over Lucius's head, or someone subverted him, and this whole thing happened, and Bruce found out, and he wasn't happy. And I thought, like I said, I, I don't know if we've ever seen Bruce like that before, and I don't know if we ever see him again like that when it comes to business. Do we? Uh... Not off the top of my head. And I really did dig that because it showed that, you know, he's not just, you know, he's just not a a crime fighter. He's also fighting for the environment. You know, the episode with uh, Catwoman, you know, we saw that he was willing to go out on a limb for her and to try to help some animals. You know, so he's very much into, like, protecting the environment and endangered species and mankind. He's just not... He's just not focused on mankind. He's focused on the globe as a whole. So I really did like the fact that we got to see him lash out and really be a businessman here. And then the scene where uh, Alfred and Maggie have gone, I think they've gone back to the spa midway through the episode, and Batman's looking for him. He, I, think, I think this is the scene. He's, I think that's what's happened. He's looking for him, and he's so panicked that he runs into the mansion in his costume and yes. he starts screaming, Alfred! Because at that point, if I remember correctly, he found out what the serum was, right? 
Right. And just him, I think he's on the stairs, you know, and he, in Batman, in, the, in his Batman, Batman costume, but he's in Wayne Manor just screaming at the top of his lungs for his father figure because he knows this guy's about to die. It's just this truly powerful, gripping moment. And I wish the rest of the episode had that emotion, but it just didn't. You know, I almost wish they would have saved that scene for another episode. Well, I think it's a problem with Poison Ivy episodes. There's not there's not a lot of depth to them. No, there's not. The scheme in this episode is absolutely stupid. Yes. It is a terrible frickin' scheme. It just doesn't even make sense. Ooh, you ruin the environment. I'm going to turn you into trees. What? What? It's like Rachel Ghoul, uh, if he were completely retarded. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? I like Poison Ivy, but her episodes just aren't, or at least this, in the early part of this, this series, they're just not good. No, they really aren't. Well, you know, well, Pretty Poison wasn't bad. What did we rate Pretty Poison? Do you remember? Five. We rate it right down the middle because the first half was really good, but the second half just sucked. Now, is this, is this the only time we saw Maggie? I believe so. I, I don't think she ever comes back. Because I like that character. She does provide a good foil for Alfred. She really does, because, you know, he just wants to stay at home and, and do his little dusting and all this and that. And she's like, no, we have to go out, uh, you know. She keeps calling him Alfie, right? Yeah. I really wish they would have kept her around. And just the other day I was reading an issue of Nightwing. Um, I think it was the first Nightwing miniseries called Alfred's Return. It might have been the second miniseries, actually. And I'd swear Maggie was in there. There was a little British woman. She, she looks just like Maggie does. And she, she's calling him love, and I think she even calls him Alfie. And I'm like, oh, that's got to be Maggie. So it was cool that we just watched these episodes, and then I just happened to find her in a comic book, or someone that at least was acting and looked like her. You know, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I really dig that character, and I, I think she would have been a great addition to the Bat family, so to speak, you know, with Bruce and Alfred trying to find ways to, you know, or she's in the mansion sometimes and trying to find ways for her not, to not figure it out. It just would have added a slightly different dynamic to the cartoon. But then again, it might have made it a little too cartoony, a little too jokey, and that's they weren't going for that all the time, so maybe it wouldn't have worked in the long run. But I still would have liked to see them tried once in a while, because she was in a cool character, I thought. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and, you know, my, my big question with this one is, you know, where did... Ivy even get the money to, to start up this scheme. Yeah. It would just be, I, again, it's like, ooh, you damaged the environment, we're going to turn you into trees. Just go shoot them in the face. If you're mad at these guys, just shoot them in the face. Don't spend millions upon millions of dollars building this spa and coming up with this 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 toxin that's going to turn them into trees when you could just shoot them in the face. It's so much easier. Just pull out a gun and kill them. Don't, oh, don't yeah, but then, but then we'd lose the symbolism that it's supposed to represent. <laughs> uh, I'm just in full sarcasm mode for this episode for most of it. No, I think you have every right to be, because it's it's a damn shame, because we have really good moments with Bruce and Alfred and Maggie, too, mm-hmm. and it, it, they're, they're undermined by the plot. So the second episode today is Perchance to Dream, and in this one, it starts out with Bruce ch- chasing some common thugs, and as he chases them into like this uh, warehouse or some abandoned building, he gets hit over the head, and when he wakes up, he finds himself back at the mansion, and he asks Alfred, you know, how he got home, and Alfred's like, uh, sir, I don't know what you're talking about, and, you know, Bruce is walking around the mansion, 
and he's trying to get into the cave. He's pulling on the clock, trying to get in there, and that's, the secret entrance isn't opening. And uh, he asks Alfred, he's like, what happened to the cave? And Alfred still continues to say, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't get this. And Bruce is like, he's just scratching his head. He can't make heads or tails of what's going on. And as he enters, is it the kitchen, James, or the bathroom? or? I think it's the kitchen. Behind him comes his father, Thomas Wayne. And this this is throwing Bruce off like mad because this man's dead. This He's dead in the ground for over 20, 25 years now. And as the episode progresses, we see... You know, Bruce is engaged to Selena Kyle, who is not Catwoman. We also see that his mother's alive still. And, you know, he's, he's running Wayne Tech, or Wayne Enterprise. Is it Tech or Enterprises in the cartoon? Um, it's Enterprises. It's Tech. Is I, it? I, thought, I thought it was, oh, actually. Right. I'm mixing I up. I'm mix, I think in the comics, it's either... No, I don't even... I don't know myself. I'm guessing. <laughs> I think it's Enterprises, because I think the logo is W-E. But I think sometimes they call it Wayne Tech. Maybe there's two. Maybe he actually runs both in the cartoon. I, I don't know. But anyways, you know, he's he's in the office. He's doing his thing, and he looks out the window, and he sees Batman. He sees Batman swinging by, and now he's freaked out. He has no idea what the hell is going on. Um, so he ends up visiting Leslie Tompkins, and even though she's not a shrink, he feels she's you know he can trust her with this, and she tells him that basically uh, he's he's created this fantasy world for himself where he thinks he's Batman. And because that, that's because Batman does all these just deeds. He saves the world time and time again. And Bruce, Leslie, you know, points out to him point blank, lives this very kept lifestyle. He's never had to really work for anything in his life. So he was idolizing Batman, creating this fantasy world around him, thinking he was Batman because he wanted meaning to, uh, added to his life. So at this point, Bruce starts to think, hey, Maybe everything's cool. Maybe she's right. And then when he goes to read a book, he realizes everything in there is just all a jumbled mess. And at that point, he realizes, no, he is inside a dream, that this is all some grand scheme. And at that point, he just tries to find a way to get out. And then he uncovers the mastermind behind it, who, of course, turns out to be... The Mad Header. So that pretty much sums this one up. Yeah. Uh, What do you got to say about this one? Yeah. I love this episode. I really do. The whole... This, there's Shakespeare references all over this episode. And me being the, the actor, <laughs> the Shakespeare English guru that I am. No, I love that. You know, the last line of the episode is from Te- The Tempest. Uh, the, the title of the, of, the sh- of the episode itself comes from Hamlet. But the title itself, uh, Perchance to Dream, is uh, from the to be or not to be. Uh, soliloquy from Hamlet oh. where he's comp- contemplating whether or not to commit suicide or to face you know the you know what's going on the, all the problems in the world or you know whatnot uh, so I loved that little uh, reference there and how that that's kind of how the whole thing was structured up into the end when he's in the bell in the bell tower um, and like you said the uh, the Leslie Tompkins scene where she's uh, telling him, well, you know what, Batman, you idolize Batman because you have read such a posh, you know, <laughs> gift of a life with uh, everything being handed to you. And I really like that. Because um, I can see I can see Bruce Wayne, if he wasn't, you know, if he wasn't Batman, I can see him being jealous of, of a guy, of Batman actually being appreciated by the public at large. Knowing that he exists and appreciating the deeds that he does every single day, 
maybe this was just me. Uh, Martha Wayne kind of looked like Leslie Tompkins. Yes! Are they using the same model? I s- they must have been. I, s- I think they were. It's kind of irksome to me because, you know, in the Batman mythos, and this is, you know, in the comics and the cartoon, it's always about Bruce and his father. What about his mother? There, There's very little... Very little has ever been said about his mom, so it bothers me that we don't have a lot of story about her in the comics. And then when we finally do see her in the cartoon, she ends up looking like another woman. They didn't even give her her own design. Yeah, the only... Uh, any kind of background I've ever seen on Martha Wayne was... Uh, it was in a trade paperback, and I forget which one it was, but it was the night that they went to the movie theater, the fateful night they all went to uh, see Zorro. She was reading to Bruce from Alice in Wonderland. Mm. So that was kind of, it gave a little bit more of a uh, kind of a psychological edge to Mad Hatter. Whenever Batman sees Mad Hatter, because, uh, hey, the night that his mother was killed, she was reading the book where the character comes from. See, now that's, that, that's cool, you know, that they added that little bit. But, I mean, really besides that, it's, it's like his mom's an afterthought. Whenever, yeah. you know, he's... We're not given a reason to care about her. Right. Exactly. You know, it's always, oh, this is my father's mansion. Alfred was my father's friend. And uh, it's, it's always my father, my father, my father. Well, what about your freaking mother? She, she played a role in your life. You know, let's, let's hear about her. I really wish someone, I don't care who, would just write the definitive Martha Wayne story where we really just got something about her. Just understood yeah. how, you know, what role she played in Bruce's life other than just being there as it seems... She, she is. You know, and that goes to Superman, too. That goes to Superman, too. It's always Jor-El, Jor-El, Jor-El. It's never about... They never bring up his mother. She's always just there. Yeah. In the background, in her little Kryptonian outfit, you know? Well, what's up with these DC characters, you know... They have all their daddy issues. Yeah, they have daddy issues. Pay some respect to your moms, guys, you know? Come on. But I'm sorry. Back to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um... You know, my thoughts about this one, I, I, I really don't like this one. I'm not crazy about it. It's I think the animation in the first half is a little too cartoony. I think the fact that Bruce is impressed by Batman when he first sees him. You know, Selina says, uh, he's wonderful or something like that. And then Bruce says, yeah, he is. I don't buy it. I don't buy Bruce seeing Batman and and thinking that he's like this wonderful vigilante. Bruce knows everything he can do. He does them night in and night out. He does those things. So I don't think upon seeing them, he'd be like, hey, that's pretty damn cool of me, isn't it? That doesn't make sense to me. Because at that point in the story, he still thinks that something's up. It's not until a little later where he starts thinking that he was fantasizing about having been Batman. At this point, he still knows there's something going wrong. So for him to be, like, lost in that moment, like, hey, that's pretty cool. No, I don't buy that. So, you know, there was the animation I have a problem with. There was Bruce um, being uh, inspired by Batman that I didn't like. Uh, for no good reason, Bruce thinks or knows that Batman, quote-unquote Batman, is behind this whole thing. Okay, you know, Bruce slash Batman might be, like, the greatest detective in the entire world, but there's no way he'd be able to connect those. There's no dots to connect, as a matter of fact. I, I, no, he just seems to take it off the top of his head. Oh, Batman's behind like, I know it's you're like, behind this. He, he screams at him when they're, at the, when they're in the bell tower. And it's like, wait, how? 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 
How did you know? What, just because Batman's <laughs> in the world? You know, it, no. and, then, and then when the mask comes off and it's the Mad Hatter, that makes even less sense to me. Because now, okay, let me try to, let me try to talk this through. And I, I, okay, because I have something to say about that. When I'm, I'm, I'm actually rubbing my temples as I'm trying to think about how I'm going to explain this here. Okay, Bruce is in a dream world constructed by the Mad Hatter. The idea is that this dream world will give Batman, whoever he may be, because the Hatter does not know who he is, his dream life. And as long as Batman stays in that machine and lives his dream life, Hatter can be in the real world in Gotham City living his dream life. That's the Hatter's plan, right? Right. So when Batman rips off the ma- when excuse me, when Bruce rips Batman's mask off and he sees the Hatter, why does the Hatter appear in the dream? Batman, Bruce, whatever you want to call him, doesn't realize that Hatter's behind the whole thing. So why, when the mask comes off, does he see Hatter? No clue. There, there's no reason he should have seen Hatter. At all, unless there were clues leading him to, uh, to it being Jar- Jervis. Yeah, Jervis, right? Yes. Yeah, I almost said Jarvis. I'm like, no, that's not right. Jervis, yeah. There, there were no clues leading him to that. So unless Hatter built himself into the program in case that happened, there's no reason he should have been in there. But Hatter, I don't think, would have built himself into the program to begin with because he wouldn't have thought that would have happened. Well, and it would have fucked up his plan, I think, too. Yeah. If somebody sees the Mad Hatter in their dreams, uh, th- uh, that's that's bad. <laughs> it's like that right there kills this episode for me. The mask comes off and it's the Mad Hatter. Wait, there, there's no reason he should have seen the Hatter. There's, there's none. So I'm sorry. What, you you said you had a. Well, I liked it. I guess I liked that it was him just because it was so soon after Mad as a Hatter the episode. Mm-hmm. I I think it was good to make an episode that quickly that kind of said because when he uh, when. Uh, Batman gets out of the machine and he confronts him. He says, I would have given you any life you wanted just to stay out of mine. And it's good because it's sort of fresh in the, in the audience's head that he just ruined Mad Hatter's life, essentially. Yeah, right, right. They didn't wait like a full year or even like 20 episodes or something like this. You're right, it is right away, but still, I just, I just don't buy some of the things that happen in the later part of Batman's dream. Well, there's a lot of uh, problems, too, like, you know, little things, but, you know, Bruce, in the story, when he's running from, or when the, in the story, in the dream, when he's running away from the cops, and he goes into this store, and he buys a grappling hook and a whole bunch of other whatever he buys, is that like Detectives Are Us? What is that store? And Selina isn't a kleptomaniac for some reason? I, why is she not a kleptomaniac? Right. Batman had nothing to do with whatever started her her you know the kleptomania did he he had nothing to do with that so you know she's but she should still be uh, some a, a burglar right unless again I, I hate to I hate to stick up for this episode trust me I truly truly do but I can almost justify that stress almost in that if this really is Bruce's world his dream woman wouldn't have such a flaw that's true. You see what I'm saying there? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. It would have been neat if she, if we saw her doing little things, little Catwoman-y things as Selena. Um, but like I said, I can almost sort of, kind of, maybe justify it. And I really, as I said, do not like standing up for this episode at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you know, he's in the cemetery. He uh, throws the grappling hook up and it hooks onto a gargoyle. And then when he gets, climbs up there, it's us just, just on a ledge. Mm-hmm. Just little things like that. Yeah. Um, there's some really bad lip syncing 
uh, is there? Yeah. I, I, I rarely notice that stuff. I, I mean, I think I've noticed it, like, once so far. Yeah. The the Thomas Wayne is, the, I think, the worst uh, culprit in this episode. Hmm. Um, Batman is smiling in the newspaper. Uh when he's he's reading the really garbled nonsensical newspaper, and uh-huh. he's finally figuring out, hey, this is a dream, you, you moron. You know, uh-huh. Batman is smiling in the photo, and it's like he was just standing there waiting for them to take the picture. Uh-huh. So I don't get that at all. Um, but I did like there were a couple of little things I liked. Uh, where, <laughs> and this is probably just you know silly, uh, silly like of this episode is when he when the cops say, Bruce, you need to come with us. He goes, very well. But not right now. That I like, just because it was so silly. It was funny. That, that, yeah, that, that is a little funny. But I don't understand why the cops went after him. He, yeah, he, he didn't, didn't commit do a crime. wrong, and unless his parents had said, hey, he's really mentally troubled right now. Well, I think that's what they were going on, actually. Uh, maybe, but I don't know. It just seemed weird. It's like, you have to come with us, Mr. Wayne. Okay, but not right now, and he runs away. And they start chasing him. It's like, why are they wasting the manpower to stop to bring Bruce Wayne in, he didn't do anything. You know, okay, maybe he, they could say he trespassed, but he didn't trespass until they started chasing him. Well, so he wouldn't have been, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, well, he ran, in, he ran into a cemetery with a grappling hook, so I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I think if I were a cop, I'd be like, hmm, maybe this guy is not safe to be out on the streets. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. I will absolutely give you that. Um, um, <laughs> I, you know, I like okay. the windshield wipers on the Batmobile. It just adds a little bit of a human uh, human quality to it. Just, oh, I can't like, say I noticed that. Did they really have the very be- yeah the very beginning? Oh, when the mud when the gunk hits it from the trash can or the mud or something. It right? just, it's like a normal yeah. car normal car yeah. thing. You don't expect you don't you don't expect to see little normal car things on the Batmobile. Right, because like it's so souped up with rockets and lasers and everything it's got, and all of a sudden these little wipers come out. You're right, I forgot about those. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think my one of my favorite lines in this episode though was "There are worse lives." I don't, I can't remember who said it, but at the time in the scene, it worked very well. Mm. That, that I can't say that line is ringing a bell with. I want to say it was yeah, Alfred, is, okay, but I but, don't remember. But yeah, that, that if he's if it's being said to Bruce, and you have to assume it is. Yeah, that that that, that is a good uh, that is a good line there. Oh, and another thing, um, this, and this bothers me about episodes of all kinds of. Not even just DC animated universe, but in other superhero uh, uh, shows. Mm-hmm. Why did Tetch not peek under Batman's mask? Yeah, that, yeah. and this happens all the time. They have yeah. every opportunity to see who Batman is, and they never take it. Um, if you ever get a chance, um, read Ultimate Spider-Man. It's such a wonderful comic book. Okay. Well, in, in, and I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil something for anybody who hasn't read that comic, okay? In the earlier issues, I want to say in the teens, but possibly the early 20s, uh, Spider-Man has a run-in with the Kingpin, and the, the Kingpins and the Kingpin's goons just knock him out. He is just out cold, right? They take Spider-Man's mask off, and so Peter Parker is right there without his mask in front of the Kingpin, right? And someone says, hey, who is this? And the Kingpin says, I have no idea. It's like, that is hilarious. Because why would they know who Peter Parker is, you know? But they at least took his mask off. At least they tried to figure out who this schmuck was, right? Yeah, but everybody should know who Bruce Wayne is. Right, you take off off Batman's mask, you're going to go, whoa, that's Bruce Wayne. Now it all makes sense, you know? You're right, they should take off his mask. It's kind of like in, um, oh, crap, what was the episode where Bruce, we just reviewed it, where Bruce was in the asylum. 
Dreams in Darkness. Yeah, exactly. Okay, they they explain why they leave his mask on, because I think the line was, it's part of the delusion. But, come on, they still would have taken it off at some point, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I understand they put the line in there because... You know, and it kind you know I, it kind of worked in that scene, but they still should have taken it off in my mind. And this is another episode where they just should have. You're going to leave him in this costume for the rest of his life, you know? Yeah. If if, if Tetch's project worked, Batman would have been on this table in his costume the rest of his life. You know, which no, would, would, have, which would have been about uh, three days since he wouldn't have had any water or anything. Yeah, there were no IVs hooked up to him or anything, you know. But yeah, he still someone would have peaked. They would have peaked, you know. In the comic, though, they have addressed this. Um, shoot, this might have been during the Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee run. Batman, I think, took a pretty nasty fall, and if I remember correctly, someone tried lifting up his mask, and these little slits came out the side, like right below his ears, if I remember correctly, and gas poured out. Yeah, so that, it, and that it, only it, happens in the comics. They never right, explore they, that in the shows. Right, they don't do it in the cartoon, and you wish they would from time to time. Mm-hmm. You, know. Um, you know, one... One good thing I will say about this episode, to get us back on track here, is <laughs> I like the music in this one a lot. Because if you listen, it's just different takes on the main title theme. Like, it's, uh, when he finally accepts that this could potentially be his real life and everything was a delusion up till now. And I think it's when he's talking to his father about uh, he and his, about Thomas and about yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Wayne joining Bruce and Selena at the... Uh, Opera, I believe it is. If you listen, it's the main title theme, but very upbeat. Yeah. It's not that very deep, you know, thing. It's, it's much more upbeat. And that was a really cool thing where they took that, they took a very familiar song and added kind of a happy twist to it. You know, you, you don't... I'm, I don't know where I was going to go with that. but no, that's I, it. I know what you're saying, and I agree, because I remember it, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was it just me, or was Hatter a little taller in this episode? Yes, he was. That goes I don't know why. With, well, I, I think... In my mind, it goes along with the animation kind of being off. Like yeah. I said, I think the first half, the animation was not quite good, you know. And it picked up in the second half, but there's still little bits that just don't work. Well, it's really weird because when they reanimate Mad Hatter for Gotham Knights, he's really, he's like four feet tall. Again, you know, with this cartoon standing out from everything else that's on TV, Bruce jumps off that tower. Yes, he does. You know, granted, he, at that point, he knows it's a dream. He knows for a fact that this is a dream, but he does not know he, if he's going to wake up. He even says it to the Hatter. The Hatter says, what if you're wrong? And he says, then I'll see you in your nightmares. And it's like, man, that's fucking creepy. Yeah. You know, he is right there. He would rather die than live this phony life. So he jumps off the tower. Now, granted... The way we see him fall is kind of on a black background. We don't see him actually falling against the tower. So, you know, they they obviously had to appease the censors in some regard. But he still jumps off the frickin' tower. Yep. I mean, that that's gutsy, man. I, totally gutsy. And because of that, that's that. at the end here when we give our scores, I'm definitely giving it a little extra, one extra point for that right there, for them just having the balls to actually do that. Our third episode today is the Cape and Cowl Conspiracy. Uh, and this episode is very hard to explain, so bear <laughs> with me. Um, first off, we have this uh, guy 
who is apparently some kind of uh, interrogator extreme who always is able to get the answers he wants out of uh, people by putting them in these ridiculous death traps. Very akin to Jigsaw. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, in the back of my mind, I think I, I was expecting you to bring that up. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And he ends up getting some money from some uh, delegate from a foreign country, I think. I think that's how they, they explain it. He gets a bunch, yeah. like $800,000 in bearer bonds or something. And then you have this other guy, some kind of uh, con man named Baron Vaklov, I think was his name, who hires uh, this interrogator guy to go after Batman and grab, and take his cape and cowl because Batman just uh, embarrassed him in front of about uh, 200 people. And really, I think that's about it. Yeah. I that That is the plot of this episode, is somebody stealing Batman's cape and cowl. Yeah, and then in the end, of course, it turns out that it was really Batman who asked Wormwood the interrogator to steal Batman's cowl because Batman was pretending to be the foreign guy that asked Wormwood to get the cape and cowl because they needed to find out where those Barabons were and who his contact was or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it, was it, just, it was just a big ruse on Batman's part. Oh, it was... Yeah. It was- it was this episode is the definition of convoluted. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, you know, the first thing I want to say about this episode is that there's no way in all hell Batman would have made such a public appearance when he apprehended the dude, the fat guy, whose yeah. name I can't remember. Is it Josek? Vaklov. Yeah, just uh, Baron Vaklov Josek. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's like, when he I mean, when he grabs that tubby bastard, he does it, as you said, right in front of a couple hundred people, and there's just no way Batman would do that. No. You know, it, so right off the bat, it's like, wait, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Um, which pretty much sets up the whole episode. Because, as you said, nothing makes sense. No. Um, it, uh, I can't... When we still, when we, you know, we don't know that Vaklov and Batman are the same person in the, you know, in the second half of the episode, I can't figure out who's in charge, Vaklov or Wormwood. They keep arguing with each other, and I don't know who's ordering around who. You know, it's like a pissing match between the two. And yeah, you're right. It's it's, it's like in the, the, when they first, you know, quote unquote, meet. He, uh, Vaklov wants to shake Wormwood's hand, and he won't. And that th- makes me think, okay, well, Wormwood is clearly the the higher guy here, he, who's you know probably going to be in charge of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But then, as it moves along, uh, Wormwood gets like treated like a piece of shit by this Vaklov guy, and it's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I no, no idea. Yeah, I, I I I'm at a loss for things to say about this one. Um, well, it know, was the Bat Signal's first appearance. Yeah, and that's kind of cool, you know, because I'm looking at that, and I have to wonder, okay, Batman, you know, he's supposed to be this urban legend. We've said this before on the show. Mm-hmm. So so I have to wonder, does the use of the Bat Signal help perpetuate that urban legend status, or does it break down that wall? Okay, because does that make people go, wait a minute, there really is a Batman, or does it make people go... Ooh, the police are trying to make us think there's a Batman. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, Which way does that go? Yeah. But because of what Batman did earlier, 
he he ruined his status as an urban legend by appearing so publicly. Yep. You know, so that aside, I'm just talking about the Bat Signal in general, not not in the realm of this episode, but in the entire Batman world, in the cartoon, in the comic, just everywhere. You know, yeah. what what does it do? Does it help his urban legend status or does it hurt it? Which one? It's it's kind of an interesting you know, you could look at it either way. Yeah. So sorry, that's just my little take on the bat signal. Um so yeah, that that is kind of of note is that this is it, it, it's weird that it took so many episodes to actually get the bat signal. I know when I first when I saw it, this is what, the eighteenth episode I think? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and it, I was like, wow, it took them that long to get the bat signal? Mm-hmm. No, it is kind of, it's, no this is the thirty first. Is it? It was, oh, it aired 31st, right? No, the, the production number is 31. It might have aired like 18. I don't know. Hmm. I don't have the air dates in front of me. But production number-wise, it says it's 31. Oh, you're right. I'm looking at Wiki. You're right. It is 31. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, well, but even so, yeah, 31 episodes? Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, and Batman is such an ass in this episode. It's a Commissioner Gordon, I should say. And, you know, he, he reads that... that uh, the letter from Wormwood telling him basically where he's got to go, but it's all cryptic. I think yeah, home or something. it's like Riddler light. <clears throat> yeah, he's very much the Riddler. And Gordon's like, "Well, what's that mean?" And Batman, or no, I think Gordon says, "Do you do you know what that means?" And Batman looks at him. And he says, "Don't you?" Yeah, it's like you asshole. <laughs> this guy doesn't have to work with you. You're a freaking vigilante. He could throw you into Arkham with all these freaks that you bust every night, you know? Yeah. It's like, you're walking a tightrope, dude. You better be cool to this guy. I mean, I think he kind of says it with a smirk, but it's still like, dude, watch your manners. That's Commissioner Gordon. You don't mouth off to him. He's a badass. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love Gordon. I, I, yeah, I adore Gordon. That's, that's Michael David Sims talking right there, people. <laughs> <laughs> What else should we say about this episode? Uh, well, let's see. I think before, was it the first or the second commercial break, uh, Wormwood looked like he was uh, masturbating <laughs> it, right as it was going into the where would be the commercial break because I was watching these on DVD. Okay, what what was going on at that I have, scene? I cannot remember. Save, to save my life, I can't remember what he was in the middle of one of his schemes. No, I think what it was is when he got Batman in the uh, hal- ultra-halogen light room. Uh-huh. And he's like laughing or whatever the hell oh, he's doing, he kinda, like, and he's bouncing. His, yeah. He's bouncing up and down, and he does. You cannot see his hands anywhere. <laughs> it looks like he is jerking off. And you know what? I'm I, maybe they were going for it. Maybe they weren't. But it would make sense for his character to do such a thing. I mean, this is what he does. He could just capture people and interrogate them the normal way by beating them up and threatening to kill them, you know, or shoot them or whatever. But no, he interrogates them by putting them in these really elaborate traps. So this might be a fetish for him. Yeah. You know, you really could look at it that way. Maybe he's getting a hard-on for him. Do you want to say anything else about this one? No. Next, we have Robin's Reckoning, which, simply put, is the origin of Dick Grayson. We find out that years ago he was part of the Flying Graysons of Haley Circus, and he witnessed the very, very brutal uh, murders of his of his parents who uh, died on the on the trapeze. And he uh, ends up being taken in by uh, Bruce Wayne, and Bruce makes it his personal mission to track down the killer, who is Tony Zuko, the nephew of... Is it Stromwell? Yes. 
and uh, Bruce isn't Batman, I should say, isn't able to capture Zuko all those years ago. Some 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 things happen. He's not able to get him, and Zuko gets out of town. And now years later, in the present, when Dick is in college, so what? Maybe fifteen plus years have passed here. Um, Zuko's back in town. And Batman wants to get him, and he wants to get him alone. And this pisses Dick off because he wants this son of a bitch bad. He wants, I mean, he wants to murder this this fucker, you know? And Bruce shuts him down. He's like, no, you can't go with me. And Dick's like, oh, no, 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 I'm stopping this guy. And he goes out on his own to stop Zuko. And this causes a lot of friction between uh, the dynamic duel. So that pretty much sums this one up. What do you, what do you have to say about this one? Well, I can certainly say it's the best of the episodes we're reviewing today. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, which you know, that wouldn't take a lot, but even so, it's a phenomenal couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the seeds of hatred are planted between uh, uh, Bruce and Dick, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's and you know they make up in the end, and everything, you know, everything seems cool. But you know, this is the first, really, the first we see of. Dick Grayson uh, not liking Batman slash Bruce Wayne. Yeah, what's he called him? A cold-hearted... Yeah, you, st- like, stuff it, Batman, you and your black heart, or whatever he says. Yeah, it's like, oh, man, it's like, Dick, why don't you tell us how you really feel? You know, and I mean, it's everything he says is true. He's not saying anything that the viewers don't know. Batman's a very cold character, but then Batman bites back with, well, no, I did this because I didn't want to lose you. You know, because he was afraid Dick would go over the edge and either kill Zuko or Zuko would kill him. And either way, he loses Dick. And he can't have that. So he actually is showing that, no, he, that he does have a heart. You know, so Robin kind of has to eat some crow there. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, when you look at this one and then you watch episodes like, um, it's one of my f- favorite episodes and I just... Old Wounds. You know, you look at that episode and then you come back to this episode and you see where it all started. Yes, you know, and you you should we shouldn't even say you see where it all started because obviously this has happened to Robin before where he's been shut down by Batman because he says that line yeah I think he says something like that that line worked great on me when I was in like fifth grade or when I was ten or something like that the whole I'm going out alone thing that Batman says to him so you know Batman's been shutting him down for years you know he's built up this anger this 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 just this this stomach full of anger and then when it comes time to finally capture the guy who murdered his parents and Batman's shutting him down he ain't gonna have that. And yeah. he just lets it fly, and you know. And then, like I said, you watch those later episodes, and you see how you you see how this character progressed. He really grows from this young boy that we see in parts of this episode into Robin, and then truly becomes a man when he's Nightwing. And as I always do, I have to make a note about the animation. The animation was beautiful, perfect, it, absolutely I, perfect just in my mind from start to finish. Absolutely, mm-hmm. just my, breathtaking, really. Yeah. You know what? When I say perfect, let me say that. For the first episode. The second one, it's not quite as good, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like bring it down a point or two because of that. There's the animation isn't as crisp and as solid. Well I'm I'm think I was trying to think of uh certain scenes like when he when Robin finally comes onto the scene and grabs Zuko by the neck and drags him across the the dock. That is cool, yeah. Uh, see, I'm, I'm thinking, you're right, I'm, I, when I say it isn't as solid, it isn't as crisp, I'm talking about, like, maybe, like, the first act of the second episode, 
but you're right. When we get to that end and Robin's like jumping the bridge on his bike, and which he's is one of the down. yeah, which is one of the most famous of all scenes in the entire right. BTAS. Right, and then just all of a sudden, just boom, he grabs Zuko by the collar and he's just dragging him on the pier. Yeah, there the animation picks up again. But when the episode starts, when the second episode of this two-parter starts, the animation just isn't as good as where it left off. It's the end of the first episode. That's what. Let me, so that's what I should have said. Yeah. Pardon if and, that wasn't clear. Well, in the uh, with, with the uh, Robin on his uh, motorbike, it, there's uh, it's really like a scene from the famous movie Akira, yeah. anime movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like even that. when he jumps <laughs> off the bike, the position. I think the way he's standing too, yes. right? Yeah. It's been a it's... while since I've seen Akira, but I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was was it? Zuko that set called Batman the Dark Angel of Death? Because I loved that. That was. Oh man, he might. I'm pretty sure it was. I think it was in the second episode. He's Zuko's like Zuko's got some damn good lines in this. Yeah, when yeah, we, it was it was Zuko when he's with his uh, cronies playing poker and he's all frantically like walking around the room and he's like, yeah. he's like a dark angel of death, man. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he does have that. And that was awesome. I mean, we got to mention we got to mention the voice actor. That's Thomas Wilson, the guy who played Biff in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And that dude has the perfect voice to play just that asshole villain. He was perfect as Biff, and as Zuko, he's even better. Because you just want to hate that son of a bitch, and yes. the, you know, and the, the voice, the voice that he brings to that character, and just the the you know, the smarminess he brings to it, it, it really adds to that. It really adds to the dislike that we all have for this guy who killed the frickin' Graysons, you know. And then when he's just going wild, as you said, it's it just it comes off perfectly. The Dark Angel of Death, man, you know, you just you just accept that this guy has lost it. That he is, that for, how long has he been gone? It's, it's like 15 years, eight, right? Uh, I think he specifically says like eight or nine years. Oh, it's only that short? Okay, pardon me. Yeah. You know, you know for that entire time, wherever he was, I mean, he could have been on the moon, and you know he was looking over his shoulder for Batman. Yes. You know that, and you could hear it in his voice in that second episode when he's flipping out when they're in that poker game. Well, and, and, uh, and try as I might, I can't think of another guy since the... Uh, the episode where we were discussing like the guy was a child molester, where we you just absolutely hate the guy, one hundred percent. There's yeah, no, exactly. there is no, nothing to redeem him. No, it's. I mean, you look at Stromwell, okay, Zuko's uncle. You know, he there's that there's that whole episode that's centered on him, and y- y- you don't, you know, yeah, he's a bad guy. He's mobbed up. You know, he's running. You know, he's got drugs. He's selling drugs all over the place. But you feel bad for him. But Zuko, you're right. There's just, you just, there's just nothing. They, they were like, no, this guy's a schmuck. He murdered the Graysons. We're not going to make him redeeming at all. And they did an awesome job with that. Yes, they Everybody, did. Everybody, from the animators to the voice actor to the, to the, to the, to the script writers, everybody, they just nailed that character. You cannot redeem the person who killed the frickin' Graysons. You just can't. Well, uh, speaking of the death of the Graysons, uh, that was creepy. Yes. Uh, the, when they just... Uh, when. Uh, Dick finally sees the the, the thread be, is worn away and it was clearly cut, and he sees it starting to tear away. And they get his mother jumps onto that trapeze, and the next thing you see is nothing but a cut trapeze. Yeah, it's like that's all you see. Yeah, there's that it's, there's the music playing as they're as they're doing you know their their routine, and then when it breaks, the music just stops. stops. Yes, just dead cold <laughs> stops. And then the rope swings in the frame, as you said, it's frayed as if it's been cut, 
and then it's just I forget the score, but it's like bum ba, you know, like it's an orchestra this, hit. Yeah, yeah, it's just and everybody in the crowd, just including Bruce, stands up and they're like, oh, you know, because you know what they just see, saw because before that they mentioned that the Graysons do their stunts without the safety of a net. Mm-hmm. So you know what happened to these people. You saw how high that trapeze was from the because Dick sees Zuko leaving. He's like, "Hey, that's the guy." And then his mom's like, "Hey, honey, we're on." And all of a sudden they're standing up at the top. You see how tall that pole is. So you know how far they fell. Oh man, that you know. I when I watch that scene again, and I watch this episode like at least twice uh, in preparation for this episode because I love you know Robin's reckoning a lot. Mm-hmm. Every time I watched that episode, and, and this time too, I, I felt myself, you know how like when you're a little kid and you're watching wrestling and you can see the heel standing behind the face and mm-hmm. you're all yelling, no, turn around Hulk Hogan, turn around. That's the way I felt watching this episode. I wanted to scream to the Graysons, don't get on, don't get on. And then when they get on, I can just, you know, when they start doing their their, their tricks, I can just, my heart just sinks into my stomach. And I, I just can't stand it. I can't stand seeing those characters die because I know what it's going to do to young Dick Grayson. It just totally tears at your heart. And then when, when Dick's leaving the circus the next morning and he's hugging everybody and, the, and he's even hugging the, the, the elephant. Oh, you just want to cry. That whole scene is just... Well, even the, and the lead-up to that scene, too. The, what do you you know, the lead-up where, the, where, where Dick is sitting in the circus tent that's you know it's been police taped off and yeah it's like i should i saw him what you know i couldn't do yeah. anything that little that. kid is like a perfect and it is a little kid too yeah he was just a little boy at the time it's like yeah i, I don't no i don't even think they could have done it better even if they were able to somehow show the grayson's falling to their deaths no i, like, I appreciate i liked it how it was yeah. yeah you know because it's like you just have to imagine how it happened and and it was better off for it yeah, exactly. I'm glad we didn't see them laying there. Even let's say there was no blood. Let's say their their limbs weren't all angled in ways they shouldn't have been. I'm glad we didn't see them just laying there. Using the shadows and using the music and the frayed rope and the crowd gasping, it comes off perfectly. Because you know, in this instant, that little boy's life has changed forever. Well, it was nice to see them uh, in the animation with, you know, J- uh, Jim Gordon having red hair and yeah. stuff like that. And Bullock is a beat cop. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. He's in that, he's in those kind of like 1930s or 40 ish police uniforms. He's just standing next to Gordon. And he's a rookie all, on the force. Yeah. And you've got all those guys there. I mean, you've got a young Robin or Robin to be, you've got a young Bruce Wayne who he actually looks a lot younger. I don't know what they did to him. But he looks younger, too. You've got Gordon, who looks the same, except his hair's red. And then you've got Bullock, same size. You know, he's just still a fat bastard. But he's in that outfit. It's like, that's so cool. Because it's like, everybody who's integral to the Batman universe, at least in this cartoon, is right there. Alfred's not there. But when it comes to the crime-fighting center of the universe, they're all right there. But it's all them, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago. That's such a cool moment. Well, it's really, it's a defining scene. Mm-hmm. For the whole series, like I said, it, it's just so good. I, I just don't know what else to say. I guess I guess I'll go back to the to, you know, we'll go back to the, the the here and now where Robin is in the cave and he's just found out, you know, who Batman's chasing. Yeah, you know, Mar- Marin, what, right. whatever his alibi yeah, or yeah, alibi. Billy Marin. What the hell am I talking about? Whatever yeah. his uh, alter ego <laughs> was. Yeah, his name's Billy Marin. You know. And Robin's just figured out that Billy Marin is also Tony Zuko. You know, Robin is sitting on, he's sitting on like a, 
a cliff in the cave, okay? And he gets up and he says to Alfred something like, he treats me like a kid, man. And if you notice what Robin does, out of frustration, he kicks a rock like a little kid would. He kicks a he kicks a small rock off the off the off the floor and into the into the chasm. I thought that was really cool because it's like he's trying to act like he's all grown up, but he's acting like a little kid by by being you know kicking at something in frustration. You know, so I thought that was kind of cool the way. I wish I had caught that because that that does sound like a pretty cool thing. Well, did you uh, did you listen to the uh, producer commentary? Yeah, uh, Bruce Tim uh, said that the scene. Like we were talking about with where he's saying Dick is saying goodbye to all the circus friends made him cry several times. Yeah, and he also talks about the censors uh, with the with the uh, death scene, and he says he thanked them for yeah. w- for what were ridiculously restrictive rules, but you know that turned out to be a good thing. Paul Dini and Bruce Tim both say after that that they were the censors were pissed off at them about the dice in the alley. Scene. Yeah, it's like okay. You can show this murder off pan, off screen. Sort of, still yeah. show it, but you can't show Batman gambling, even though he's doing it to get information to find a killer. Hmm. Okay, this whole thing starts the, the deaths of the Graysons, I should say, start because Zuko is um, trying to get uh, pr- protection money from or insurance from Mister Haley, who owns mm-hmm. the circus, right? Haley, pull, you know, he pulls out a freaking whip. That dude's a badass. Get out of here. I'm not paying you protection money. Crack. And he cracks him with the whip, right? Well, Zuko starts walking away backwards, and he bumps into Dick Grayson. Now, I have to wonder if that's what gave him the idea to go after the Graysons. Seeing the little acrobat boy gave him the idea to kill the acrobats. Granted, we, you know, we're talking about a fictional character here, but I wonder if that was the producer's intentions to subtly get that across. Like, had Robin not, excuse me, Dick not been there, Zuko would have gone after someone else. Yeah, like maybe, maybe, the, uh, maybe the fire eaters or somebody else. Right, exactly. Oh, God. I didn't want to think about that one. Um, yeah. But you understand what I'm saying there? I wonder yeah. if Dick being there did put that idea in his mind. You know, And if he did, that makes it all the more tragic. Yeah, it makes, and it makes sense. It would yeah, explain. The, I think one of the reasons I think that... <clears throat> And I'm going to stick by that is because after Zuko's leaving the tent, after he's just frayed the rope with his knife, and he pushes through the Graysons, before he leaves the tent, he turns around and he looks right at Dick. He looks right at him, almost as if to say, this is for you, kid. Do you remember that? I remember that. So yeah. those two things together really make me think that had Dick not been there, he would have gone after someone else, be it a clown or a fighter, fire eater or Haley himself or even the elephant. I think he would have went after someone else if Dick wasn't there. And like I said, that makes it that makes it so much worse if you look at yeah. it in that regard. Something else on the uh, commentary. They wanted, you know, Deanie and Tim wanted to make uh, Batman give uh, Dick Grayson an oath. Yeah, that would have been cool. But they had to cut it out because of time restraints. Yeah, so. that because that's straight out of like the comics. That's like I think out of like Robin's first appearance. He, I think he takes that oath, the candlelight oath. Yeah, it might not be his first appearance. It might be like a flashback to his origin that we get early on in the uh, in, in uh, the Batman stories. But it would have been cool if they could have added that. However, there's a Teen Titans episode where we see that. There's a Teen Titans episode where Raven has to enter Robin's mind. And I still haven't seen that episode. Everybody oh. says it's such a great episode, and I haven't seen it yet. I forget which episode it is, but there is a scene where she's going through his mind, 
And because granted, in that show, they never outright say that it's Dick Grayson as Robin, though there are a billion clues. In mm-hmm. fact, Larry's name we see on the screen when spelled backwards is Dick Grayson. He yeah. he becomes Nightwing in the future. You know, he's he's dating Starfire. You know, there's all these little clues, right? Well, anyways, the big one of the one of the big ones is when Raven's going through his mind. We see a candlelight oath being made, and it's I, you don't see Batman and you don't see Robin. I think you just see their shadows uh, encircled by you know like a yellow light. But it's really cool that they threw that in there, that, okay, they didn't, you know, the producers of BTAS didn't get to do it, but the Teen Titans producer said, hey, we're going to do it because they didn't get to. Oh, Stromwell? Man, what about that beating he lays in the Zuko? Smacking him around with the newspaper and stuff. that newspaper and just like, wham, right in the face. It's like, man. Stromwell was never more likable. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you pause it, when he's doing that, though, when Stromwell's hitting with the newspaper, I think one of the animators wrote his name. I noticed when it was going through that there was, like, one line of text going the opposite way of the rest. So I paused it, and it's, I can't pronounce this name. It's K-U-G-I-N-O-M-I-Y-A. It's just written on the paper. Hmm. It's, you know, just a little Easter egg. For those that, that like those. You know, Stromwell beats the crap out of Zuko. <laughs> and Batman uh, has his little... Batman is out in the garden waiting for Zuko. I love how that action sequence does not have music. That whole action sequence just goes from start to finish with just Batman making his noises and the guns going off and the car starting. And I wish they would have done more musicless action sequence sequences in Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I remember... I remember when he's when, when Zuko hears the machine gun fire, and Stromwell's like, "What was that?" And he's like, "He's still here." They didn't do more musicless uh, action sequences in this show, but there's an episode of Batman Beyond where they did it. I forget the name of it, but it's in the first season, I believe. Uh, Batman Beyond, he has that villain that has like those, he has like Sonic things on his arms. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't remember the name. I don't remember the names of hardly any Batman Beyond. Okay, uh, well, films because it's been so long since I've watched the show. Okay, well, there's an episode that's very sound. But I know who you're talking about. I do know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and they cut like all music, and if I and maybe all sound effects too. But I think there might be a few sound effects like footsteps, and and it, again, it's just a really gutsy move of them to do it then in Batman Beyond, and especially to do it, you know, when they did it in Batman the Animated Series, where everything was scored, and here's this one action sequence that just randomly wasn't. Another thing I dig, and this this is getting us into the second episode, is how when Robin is going around that scummy area, and he's uh, he's asking people if they've seen Zuko, you can hear the uh, the Batwing overhead. Yes, you can hear that shoom sound, and it's like everybody except Robin knows what that sound means, and they all like duck duck under cover or like you know, close their shutters, turn off their lights or whatever. And it's really cool because it shows you that, like, Batman, like, torments this area all the time with that plane. That he's constantly playing Big Brother by just flying over saying, here I am, what are you doing? You know, you could understand why some people who aren't criminals but are uh, less fortunate might dislike Batman because he's just treating them all like they're criminals by watching them all the time. Batman's costume in the flashback sequences, did you notice how different it was? I don't mean just the pouch belt or the or the uh, the fact that the, the bat didn't have an oval. Did you notice that there are no blue outlines? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's uh it's just flat black. 
you know how like in the scenes in the here and now you can like you know like sometimes we can see like blue outlines of him yeah this yeah. The, his costume is completely different it's just all black it was just a little thing that they added that showed you how the character progressed throughout the years uh, going back to the animation, the animation on the bat suit in this episode is by far the best yet, because I think they were they had more depth, they had more, uh, they were darker, but they still had defining lines. It, when you know, okay, they lose Zuko, and Bruce brings you know the plane's coming down, and Batman's getting into it, and Dick's little Dick, he's oh god. Young Richard Grayson, pardon me, <laughs> says that was truly a slip. It wasn't meant to be funny. He he says something like, where are we going? And Batman says, home. And Dick's like, what? He just kind of has this look on his face, you know? And they get in the plane, and the next thing you know, they're in the cave. And he asks Batman, he's like, is this where you live? And I forget Batman's response. I think he says sort of or something. This like is that. where I work. This is where I work. That's it, right. And then he says, I want to know how badly you want Zuko, right? And then, uh, what does Robin say? Who are you? I don't even think he answers the question. I think he just says, who are you? And then Batman takes off his mask. Imagine how fucking creepy that had to be for Dick Grayson. He's in a cave by this freak in a costume, and it turns out it's this weird dude who took him in? It's like that had to be one of the most frightening experiences in his life. And... It's, it's just kind of a crazy moment when you look at it like that. I really yeah. like looking at these episodes and at Batman from a completely different angle. And in this instant, I'm trying, in this instance, I should say, I'm trying to look at it from the perspective of, like, an eight-year-old boy or however old Dick is supposed to be in this scene. I think he was right? seven, but I'm not oh, sure. Yeah, so I'm trying to look at it from his vantage point here. And when you do that, okay, he's just lost his parents. He's living in this weird mansion with these two weird guys and then he finds out that these weird guys, one of them is Batman, and the other one is his faithful butler slash assistant in crime. You know, and he's got this freaking cave and a plane. It's like, that messes with the little kid's head, man. It's a wonder Robin didn't freaking snap and kill Batman in his sleep one night or something, you know? Seriously, he watched his parents get murdered, and then he sees this guy dressed up in a big bat suit. It's like, <laughs> oh, he, had, he has the will of iron. Yeah, he, he must. When Batman falls through the roof later on, his his legs busted up, and he throws down, you know, Zuko's gun has run out, and Batman throws down those pellets to get the smoke going, he just walks out of the room. Now, did you buy that, that he wouldn't have just, like, knocked Zuko in the head and dragged him away, that he would just walk away like that? He must have been in a lot of pain, that's all I can think of. See, that's, that's my point, is I don't know if I buy Batman walking away from Tony frickin' Zuko, no matter how much pain he was in. Yeah, I can see having a problem with that. It's one of those things where it's like, I have to contemplate, do I subtract a point for that? It seems like such a nitpicky thing, but he had him. He had him. The gun was empty, if I remember correctly. Or did he Did he put a new magazine at that point? Did he put the it new was, magazine in? He was empty. It was empty, but yeah, he did put in a new uh clip or after the magazine, smoke yeah. or during the smoke after the smoke okay yeah. so the gun's empty at that point yes batman's hurt and he's surrounded by three guys but he's still batman you know i just don't know if i buy him walking away like that it, 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 it's kind of a little irksome but if you look at it from from the from the vantage point that that you have you know oh he must be really hurt 
Well, I mean, it he was using sense. a plank of wood to walk around on for the last five minutes of the episode. That is true. See, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one for me. It's like, do I subtract a point or not? I don't know. So you buy him walking away? Yeah, I think I can. Uh, but I do I do see where you're coming from with that. Do you have anything else to say about this one? Well, I just like that uh, Zuko was had John Travolta's voice from Greece. Yeah. Because his character's name was Jan- Danny Zuko. <laughs> Going back to that whole voice thing, at, t- giving so much to that character. Um, here's a little Easter egg-y thing. Did you notice that one of Zuko's aliases, besides Billy Marin, was Sid the Squid? Yes. Who, of course, will get... Oh, shoot, when's that episode come up? That, it's a while before that one comes up, isn't it? Because what is that one, The Man Who Killed Batman? Yeah, I think so. Uh, let's I think that I think that is it. It's episode 51, according to the production code. So, yeah, we won't hit that one for a little while. But uh, a little funny that they reused that name. But if you listen to the uh, commentary, I believe Bruce Tim admits that all the names that we see on the screen, all of Zuko's aliases, were uh, gags based on friends of theirs. Well, and Sid the Squid was also a character in Animaniacs. No, uh, was he? Who? Yeah. Slappy, one of the Slappy Squirrel's uh, foes. But, you know, another one of those Warner Brothers cartoons homages. Okay, our final episode today is The Laughing Fish. It is... Uh, the next in line of Joker episodes. Uh, basically, Joker has used his Joker toxin on every fish in the Gotham Bay, which, of course, gives them that lovely red smile. And his plan uh, is to copyright these fish and earn money off of every one of them. And to do this, he has to threaten some, some pencil pushers, basically. Uh... But uh, through this, uh, Harvey Bullock ends up getting involved and getting uh, captured. And uh, I think that's about it, really. Yeah, pretty much so. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's, yeah. that's, that's the plot for this quote-unquote episode. <laughs> well, you know what? I, as I was saying before we even started recording this today, I like this episode just because of all the goofy references and all the one-liners. I mean, I'm not going to rate it really high or anything, but, but it was a fun episode uh-huh. to watch, in my opinion, anyway. I don't know. Um, why, don't, why don't you say some more about this while I get well, let's thoughts. see. Uh, like, let's see. Um, I guess I didn't like that Joker didn't really have a, a, a goal, more or less. I mean, he just wanted money. Yeah. And why, don't not, you know, why not rob a bank right. or something? But I guess... You know, nothing Joker does makes sense to anybody. Except so. him, and that's Except something him Batman, and Batman says in this. Yeah. You know, he flat out said, the, the pencil pusher, what's her name? It was a, His name was like G. Carl Francis or something like that, right? Yes. Yeah, I think he says, I don't understand why why I'm the, w- w- what's going on here? I can't change the law. And Batman says something to the effect of, you know, the Joker schemes only make sense to him. Yeah, and to Joker, that's the joke. Right. This Was this the first episode with an animated opening sequence? Yes, this one did not have a title card, which really throws... The, the first time you watch it, it really throws you off, because all the episodes yeah. up to this one have, you know, you know, opening music and this really beautiful card, and this one just starts on that sign just being kicked around in the wind. Yeah, I love the uh, the whole Joker burger talk about a happy meal. Yes, that was <laughs> really love, good. I love stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and the when he's when G. Carl Francis says, "Great Scott," and then he says, "Oh, actually, I'm Irish." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are some good lines in this one, but overall, the story is just what? yeah. You know, you just have to scratch your head and go, "What the hell was that?" Yeah, you it's know? not a it's not a believable plot. I no. fully admit that. But then again, you know, if you look at it from the angle that Batman said. Maybe it's just not supposed to make sense because we're not the Joker and we don't get it. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like, as we're talking about it, I'm thinking of raising the score I gave this one because now I'm under, understanding why it doesn't make sense because it wasn't supposed to. Uh, Joker has that built-in kind of uh, uh, deus ex machina where you know you just say, oh, well, what was the point of this? Oh, it's Joker. It didn't make sense anyway. Here, these, oh. these are my these are my notes here. This is one of my notes here. None of this makes sense! Exclamation point. It's like yes. my fourth note, so that's probably about I don't know, I don't know, seven or eight minutes into the cartoon, maybe a third way in. I'm starting to really notice that none of this makes sense, <laughs> and it's just driving me crazy. So I just had to write that down. Now, one of the things I really did dig about this episode, despite the fact that overall I don't like it, is how the perfume comes back into play. How Harley, she doesn't like the smell of fish. So she's, you know, the Joker has made, uh, what, he smacked Francis around with He slapped him in the face, yeah. Yeah, so Harley's like, ew, P-U. So she squirts him with her perfume, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, okay, she just sprayed him with perfume. But no, that comes back. They, they, they call back to that. You know, because, remember when the, when the other toxin gets, uh, yeah. Introduced into the room, the only the swordfish missile, right? Yeah. God, the only, <laughs> the only the only reason that Francis is tra he transforms, and that's a really brutal transformation he goes through there. Um, this is actually a very dark episode. Yeah, it is. It is is because he had been sprayed with Harley's perfume, and as he said, he hadn't had time to wash it off yet. And I like how Batman caught that. How he's like, "Get this man to a doctor now!" And that's when the swordfish missile comes flying in. So I, I, I did think it was cool that they called back to something that had happened earlier in the episode. Normally, I don't think you even you don't see it that much, even in, in this cartoon. So the fact that they did it was really cool that they were trusting the audience to remember what had happened. Mm -hmm. uh, when he, remember when he slaps uh, Francis in the face with the fish, he says, I told you you couldn't speak. Yeah. And, then when, and then when he finally finishes, and Francis is like just sitting there, and he said, oh, you can speak. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, just it goes to Mark Hamill. It just goes to show yes. you, uh, you know, what a great actor he is. You know, say what you will about the Star Wars franchise and his, you know, acting career after that. When it comes to the Joker, he just knows what to do with that character. Just mm -hmm. even, even the worst Joker episodes, and this is one of them, you know, he brings everything he has to the plate. You know, they could give him the worst script in the world, and he would make the Joker work. He would make the jokes funny. He would make it, I almost said believable, but I'll use the term believable loosely in that kind of Joker way. And when I say that, I mean the story. You know, he makes it believable in that Joker way. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, like I said, say what you will about the guy. He, he, he just brings it with the Joker. I like that uh, George uh, Zunza, did, who... Uh would later on go on to voice Perry White in the Superman animated series, did the voice of Francis and uh, also Scarface and Arnold Wesker. Oh, is that him? Later on. Mm -hmm. I knew I recognized the voice. You know who I actually thought it was? I thought it was the real Sid the Squid from The Man Who Killed Batman. 
For some reason, I thought it was that guy, but it's Scarface? Mm-hmm. Okay, like I said, I knew I recognized it, just wasn't quite sure where it came from. Okay. You know, the, uh, this, this episode does have some good animation, like that scene where uh, Batman is standing by the window and the second of the Joker's victims is sitting in the chair, and they both turn to look at the cat. Yes. And Batman's in shadow, and I can't... What's the, what's the other victim's name? Do you remember? Did he even have a name? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Don't... But they both turn to look at the cat, and his mouth is hidden by the edge of the chair. And, you know, Batman says, the cat's been infected, and then the cat dives at Batman and scratches him, and then he transforms, and it turns out that Batman... <coughs> excuse me. And the second victim had changed roles because they thought that if the Joker invaded the place, uh, he'd go after the uh, the pencil pusher, which which was really Batman, so he'd be able to stop them. But the way they animated that with the pencil pusher in the foreground and his mouth hidden so you couldn't see that it was really Batman in disguise saying that line and the lightning flashing to, to, to light up the whole room, it's very cool. It's a really... It's a really neat scene. I'd love to get an like, uh, animation cell of that. Okay, so score time. What would you give Eternal Youth out of 10? Uh, 3.5. Okay, I give that one a 4. What about Perchance to Dream? 6.5. And actually, I had that at 7, but as we went along, I docked it a half point. So. Oh. I gave that one a 4. Uh, Cape in the Cowl? Uh, 3.5. I give that one a 4. Uh, let's see, Robin's Reckoning. 8.5. This one's a tough one for me. As we were going, okay, when I first rated it, I gave it a 9. As we were going through, I bumped it up to a 10, but then we started talking about that whole thing about if Batman really would have left Zuko or not. away. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm, I think that scene really does bother me. I can see what you're saying, that maybe if he was in enough pain, he really would walk away. But it still yeah. irks. It really, really bothers me. I can understand him leaving Zuko behind the first time when Robin fell into the river mm-hmm. because he had to save the little boy. He had no choice. Granted, I still think he could have knocked Zuko out, got Robin, and then went back and found Zuko. But whatever. <laughs> he didn't do it. He was more concerned. He was early on in his career, and he was really concerned about saving this boy that he was starting to be attached to. Okay, so fine, whatever. Yeah. I buy it then. But the second time, I don't buy Batman risking losing Zuko again. So. Like I said, it went from a 9 to a 10, and I think I'm going to bring it back down to a 9. And that sounds silly. You know, it sounds weird saying I'm bringing it back down to a 9 as if that's a bad thing. It's still a 9 on a freaking 10. Yeah. You know? Okay, and then last but not least, The Laughing Fish. Uh, right in the middle, 5. i got to give this one a 3. Um, this was just an, it was an episode that I like to just laugh at, honestly. Yeah, and you know... <laughs> because Mark Hamill did such a great job, I thought. Yeah, this one has its moments animation-wise... And, you know, definitely if you look at it from the point of view that it's, maybe it's not supposed to make sense because it's the Joker, I could bump it up to a four or five as well, but I'm going stick, to stick with a three on this one. Oh, no! Don't! Please! Robin! Enough. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. Stuff your advice, Batman. You and your stone-cold heart. You don't know how I feel. How could you? Batman, I... I didn't mean a... I'm sorry.
You were right, you know. Not bringing me along. You knew I'd take it too personally. It wasn't that, Robin. It wasn't that at all. Zuko's taken so much. Caused you so much pain. I couldn't stand the thought that he might... take you, too. Come on, partner. It's been a long night. Episodes of World's Finest Podcast can be downloaded through iTunes from worldsfinestpodcast.com and earth2.net. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Remember that new email address is feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums, which can be found at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman the Animated Series, those being Night of the Ninja, Cat Scratch Fever, The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, Heart of Steel, and if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.